0: We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Ploege with the Nebraska Game
1: and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher
2: with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures.
0: Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. So happy new year. Welcome to winter to our listeners. Tana, Rachel, it's great to be back in the studio. Um, it's been a while. How are you ladies doing?
2: Doing pretty good. Staying busy. We are in the heat of uh, conference season, which is always fun because in the midst of uh, COVID, we don't know whether we're live or virtual or what's going on. Having to adapt rapidly. Um, Winding down on deer season in Kansas and uh, just transitioning into winter you know as wild as the winter or as mild as the winter has been I should say um, I'm still ready for it to be over. I miss the green. What about you Rachel? What you up to?
1: Well I'm glad to hear that somewhere it's warm Uh, it's it's arctic here like I think the high today is like negative seven tomorrow it's negative 20 it's brutal right now so needless to say i'm doing a lot of indoor activities right now we're going to talk about one of my favorite outdoor winter activities a little bit later but right now i'm working on a scarf i feel like that is the best winter activity because then i i don't feel so bad about binging out to netflix showtime something because i'm like actively doing something right i feel like i'm producing something still and and still Adding, not just just taking away during winter, but I have to agree. Um, I'm so excited about today's conversation because I'm already starting to think about spring, and I won't give it away yet. But I'm excited about today's conversation. It's going to get me through this next uh, not heat wave uh, that's
0: coming at us. Yeah, it's brutal here in Nebraska too. It was quite the shock when yesterday. Uh, middle of January it's like 50 we're walking we took a walk with like t-shirts on and this morning I'm like oh my eyes lids just froze shut <laughs> it was awful <laughs> we should be yeah, used we, to this by now
1: we have 10 inches of snow on the ground and
0: oh yeah
1: yeah it's been a long <laughs> it was a long weekend I was so excited about the the holiday weekend and then it was like band snowstorm oh yeah inside
0: you, you did let's you bake did. cookies thanks yeah. good thinking So I hope our listeners missed us just as much as we missed uh, recording these podcasts. The last 30 days, as you can hear from our voices have been uh, certainly busy. We've been busy with the holidays, conferences, workshops, family, opening our registrations to our state, becoming an outdoor woman, 22 program uh, workshops and packed, the post office in Iowa full of she goes outdoor subscription boxes. So special shout out to Team Iowa uh, for getting those packed and sent. Whoop whoop. So if you're not familiar with the boxes, we will tell you a little later in this episode um, more about those boxes. So, But I want to first brag on my favorite part of the She Goes Outdoor Education Box program is the live webinar. All who uh, receive the box are invited to an interactive virtual workshop. Experts share knowledge. They demonstrate their skills. So we take that time. We dig through the gear and the materials in the box, explaining and showing how to use those items in the outdoor fields. In addition to the educational component, during the program, we are building camaraderie, answering questions, and so much more. And you get to see our faces. Rachel, will you tell our listeners a little more about the ice fishing webinar that took place just last week?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first off, a huge shout out and thanks to... Team Iowa, as you've dubbed them, couldn't do the boxes without them. It's an amazing assembly line to get them out the door. And um, it's so awesome just reading the different states and labels as to where they're going. It's kind of fun to kind of spread the spread the joy of the She Goes Outdoors box across the country. And I agree, the the webinar is is kind of the culminating thing. It's just fun to see other ladies on screen with us, um, just really learning and enjoying it and and getting something out of it. And that makes all that hard work and, and energy really worth it. So this last week we had our ice fishing webinar and it's one of my favorite activities in the winter. Believe it or not, you can get really warm ice fishing. Uh, I I always thought it was an oxymoron, like you're sitting on ice and you're hot. That doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, so Barb and Tyler from Iowa DNR joined us um, and and really kind of gave us a a walkthrough of ice fishing, the basics. And then Tyler was able to help us learn how to get that line onto the reel, which is such an important thing. I think it's such a daunting thing. You know, yeah, I want to go fishing, but uh, I got two pieces that don't, I don't know how to put together. And and sometimes those videos, they just move so fast. So I, I just truly appreciate both Barb and Tyler taking the time to kind of walk us through a lot of the concerns and questions that we had. So it was a great great couple hours and um and again it just it was nice seeing um others really get something out of it
0: exactly a spot on there rachel so our love uh for the she goes outdoors ice fishing box actually segues ways into this week's conversation our next she goes outdoor box theme is planting for pollinators we are so excited to be constructing this unique experience with uh, with our friends and partner, uh, Pheasants Forever Quill Forever, they joined us way back for our first box. We like we approached them like we had this like crazy idea, we support idea, and they you know they loved it. They were there providing discounted materials, providing content, providing expertise. And even memberships as part of that, which was really cool. So PF is more than just an organization that focuses on upland game hunting. They are working with landowners and public lands to protect and develop habitat.
2: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think PF is a really cool organization in that a lot of the funds that their local chapters collect stay local, right? Right. Um, I think that's a really awesome thing and a great way for these groups to be involved in the community. So shout out to PF for that support and, uh, for keeping that local. That's really cool. So, Oh, go ahead, Anna. Sorry.
3: I was just gonna kinda, I guess, expand on that just a little bit. Sorry if I'm going a little bit off the, the script. Um, so that's kind of one of our unique models is that, um, a lot of nonprofit organizations, the local chapters, um, The All of those funds kind of go back up to national, but we're a little bit different in that actually 100% of those funds stay local. Um, So that's kind of one of the unique little, little tidbits on Pheasant's Forever is that wherever it's raised, all of that money stays local. The chapter has full control over that.
2: That is awesome. I love to hear it. Okay, Anna, you've teased us a little with your voice. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Anna Swarczyk. She is the Habitat Education Program Manager with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So Anna, now that you've given us a little bit of background on the funding mechanisms for PF, will you introduce us and give us some background on yourself and then
3: tell us a little about your position? Yeah, um, so a little bit of a background. I um, started with Pheasants Forever right right out of college back in um 2014. And I started in Kansas. Um, so we kind of have a little bit of a connection there. I was in western Kansas for a couple of years as a farmable biologist. So um, starting out with one of one of our best habitat kind of boots on the ground is our farmable biologist that we have working with private landowners across the US. Um, and then from there I moved over onto our education and outreach team. And my husband and I then moved to Iowa. So then I have a little bit of a connection there with, with Rachel lived in Iowa for a few years as well, um, on the education outreach team. And then recently I just moved back to Nebraska, which is where my home roots are, um, my, uh, we moved back to my husband's farm here. So I have a lot of that connection to the, to the Nebraska, the farm and ag world is as well too.
1: So Anna, we, we like to kind of give some of our listeners a little bit of a background. So how did you get into the outdoor world? Like, w- did you grow up doing this or was this something you stumbled upon? Well, give us a little bit more.
3: Yeah. So I started out, um, as a kid with my dad, that's everything we did was always in the outdoors and that's kind of where that passion started. And he definitely kind of fed my curiosity for everything. And so from catching spiders and snakes and just all of that little stuff, like super fascinated me as a kid. And then he got me into the outdoors through hunting. Um, And so I have that tie as well too. Um, And so everything from deer hunting to running the sand hills in Nebraska on public land, um, trying to get antelope really kind of fed that. And so I knew, ironically, but as I look back now, is as a kid I was like, you know, I don't want to sit at a desk all day. I want to be kind of more in the outdoors, and so that's what got me into the farm biologist role. Is you know I wanted to work one on one with landowners and and be outside and um, try to provide that that habitat. And now I'm as I transition to the education outreach team, a lot of my job is is more behind a desk, but um, I still got to make a lot of those big impacts on the landscape.
1: That's so cool. Okay. And then you got to give us a shout out to your alma mater. Where did, what did you study and where'd you go?
3: Um, I went to university of Nebraska, um, graduated
1: with a fisheries and wildlife degree. <laughs> I'm
3: Woo-hoo! getting, I'm getting some head shakes from some people and Woo-hoo!
1: so. <laughs> we, we asked this because, uh, um, a lot of our listeners like, uh, ourselves are, are maybe new into the hunting world. So it's, it's fun to hear how our different guests have gotten into the outdoors. Um, You know, we've shared our backgrounds many times but it's fun to hear that not as many as you would think were introduced as their as a child from their parents so for that you are you're one of the lucky ones as I like to think about it Um, many of us got out but maybe weren't introduced to that hunting world and then a lot of us like myself really stumbled around in college trying to figure out what they wanted to do so they have a degree in something completely different than what they're actually doing now so it's it is fun to I, I call you maybe the unicorns, where you actually knew what you wanted to do, you studied it, and now you're doing it. Um, I someday I'm gonna make it to unicorn status, but I'm not there yet. So, uh, so thanks for giving our, our listeners a little bit more of a background. It's just, it's it's kind of nice to to hear where you're coming from. So you you mentioned that you've been with pheasants forever since about 2014, and and most of us on this call know a lot about. The organization, but will you give us a little bit more? You know, why was it fun founded? You know, what what is the end goal? And then you you talked a little bit about the Farmville biologists. It sounds like a mouthful of a job. Like, what does that entail, and and what do they do?
3: Yeah. Um. So we were started out very small, like a lot of nonprofits do. Um. In 1982. They, um, a small group of hunters, just saw the need that we needed to do some habitat work on the landscape. Um, they saw pheasant numbers decreasing. And that's kind of where it had started. and they started it up in a garage, um, which is crazy to think of now with we have over 130,000 members and you know almost 200 biologists and s- over 700 chapters and it, it started all in, you know in a garage. Um, with the mission of, you know, it's all tied back to the habitat organization. So we're most known as, you know, pheasants forever and quail forever, but we are, our kind of our tagline is the habitat organization. So we kind of recognize that, you know, everything we do is, is great for pheasants and quail, but it's going to be, you know, all of the good impacts for songbirds and pollinators and water quality and soil quality.
0: I suspect that this year you're going to be celebrating 40th anniversary. Is there going to be anything big going on at Pheasant Fest? Or maybe even put a little shout out for Pheasant Fest that's going to be in Nebraska, but just a couple miles away from Iowa.
3: Yes. Um, so it'll be a good location there right in between um Nebraska and Iowa. So pheasant fest is March 11th through March 13th. Um, so it is a little bit later this year than what we typically do. It's normally in February. Um, so it'll be in mid March this year in Omaha. So we're super excited. The planning is, is full force. It's, it's a a big event to put on a lot of vendors to contact and a lot of events that go on. I mean, starting right away in the morning and ends in banquets at night that go pretty late. Um, so, but it's, it'll be really fun. So if you guys want to, whoever wants to come, it's open to the public. Um, there's anything you could ever really want to learn about for Upland. We have um, a cooking stage that we have. So if I know that's a lot of people, um, and it's a big part for me as well too, with hunting in the outdoors is the cooking side of thing and the food and knowing where your food comes from. Um, so we have a cooking stage where we'll go over recipes, um, and how to cook wild game, have a hunting heritage stage as well too. Um, so there'll be a lot of talks on there for new and, um, people who are new to hunting and new to the outdoors and getting outdoors. And there'll be a lot of good talks on that as well too. And then if you're a landowner, we also have a landowner help desk. So if you want to kind of connect with some of those local biologists, they know the best for that, that area, um, to connect you with what's the best practices. Where you're at, and then along with working out of the USDA offices, um, and so they can help you get connected with those USDA programs for your land.
1: Anna, that's kind of the role of that Farm Bill biologist, right? Kind of being that connector between the landowner and then the USDA office, and you know, hooking them up with. You know maybe your land's really great for crp land or different kind of programs that allow you not to actually work the land instead you kind of create habitat on your land if i'm summing that up correctly
3: <laughs> yep no you sum that up perfectly um so they're partnered positions between Pheasants forever and then usda sometimes they're also tied with the state agencies as well too um, they have some of that in their work plan but The biggest part is working in those offices and kind of being a good face for, hey, these are some practices and how you can use these programs to help better it for wildlife on your property.
1: And those positions really help the state agencies really kind of expand their their reach. So different states might have, you know, four or five or 10, maybe 15 if you're really well funded. Um, And then, you know, plus the Farm Bill biologist position, you can almost double it in, in some states. So it really allows for um, those biologists to work in a much smaller, uh, concentrated area. So it's a, it's a great program and and one that I know Iowa is happy to to be part of.
0: Anna, where would they find more information about the Pheasant Fest event? Uh, yeah.
3: Um, if you go to PheasantForever.org um, slash PheasantFest and that will um, pull up the website there to see you know what exhibitors are going to be there purchase your tickets um, see what seminars and Great. all of that information
0: and I also know that a past guest Marissa Jensen uh, is leading a charge on the women on the wing event that's that Saturday too maybe
3: yep okay. um, that's on Saturday um, it's our women on the wing luncheon It'll believe it's for a couple hours there so we have some pretty awesome guest speakers starting to line up. It's not, I don't think we've publicized it yet, but some really good role models and women that um, are in some really cool positions. So we're going to have them speak at the event. Um, it'll be a great networking, a lot of, a lot of people there to where if you have any questions, anything outdoors, will be, there'll be somebody to help you out during that luncheon and there'll be some good food as well. Cause what's a luncheon without some good food and hopefully some wine.
2: So Anna, it sounds like your position and clear love and passion for habitat development fits directly within the goals of the upcoming She Goes Outdoors box that we've been teasing. So what were your initial thoughts when we shared our idea of doing a
3: box focused on pollinators? I was ecstatic, I guess, to say the least. My, um, I didn't, I guess, talk about too much on my position. My title would be habitat education program manager. So. I try to help run and create programs to educate youth, adults, landowners about habitat. And so because I have a unique, I guess, passion for pollinators, most of my programs have that requirement right in there. So when I heard that we were
1: going to do pollinator boxes, I was pretty pumped for that. So pollinators listeners might be wondering like why are you focusing on pollinators when you think of outdoor skills and outdoor activities like there's this enormous gambit of things that we could focus on but we really want to remind people that you take a bite of just about anything you can thank a pollinator for that bite right and and those pollinator populations are shrinking um there's there's been some coverage over the news in the last five years, I'd say, you know, there's been a big blitz on Monarchs. I know here in Iowa, um, we have the Rag Ragbry bicycle ride and on Ragbry they were actually throwing pollinator bombs, which is a seed ball bomb on the ride so that all the roads that they're riding, the ditches would just kind of blow up in, in pollinator seeds and habitat really. And, and so, i just want to kind of bring that to light and i am not the biologist so i'm gonna flip it over to you anna to see if you have any more uh eloquent words to say about kind of the the depleting pollinator populations
3: <laughs> i'm not sure how eloquent it will be but i can definitely add to that a little bit and i think just start out could kind of talk about like what even is a pollinator so a lot of people might not know or might just think okay that's a bee and a butterfly. That's, you know, normally the, kind of the first thing that comes to mind with pollinators. But really, when we talk about pollinators, we're talking about a lot more broad than that. So it's moths, bats, which is kind of a unique one, are pollinators, ants, spiders. There's there's a really big group um, of insects and, you know, a couple of those animals that are actually considered pollinators. And why we're so, you know, and why I am, I guess, pretty passionate and, really i kind of want to spread the word about pollinators is depending on i mean there's so many things but like you mentioned the food aspect i mean everybody at least i really like my food and so a lot of those food sources require pollinators to produce that more than 90 of u.s specialty crops require pollinators so that's that's a really big really big number um so chocolate right that's like a big one for for me you know without pollinators we would not we wouldn't have that a big thing in kind of our states in the midwest is um they've shown that soybeans um they actually will increase yields if there's pollinators around and so there's a huge benefit there to try to keep habitat around around your fields and the alarming part is that they're all decreasing everything that we're monitoring has been decreasing over the last few decades and monarch butterflies have definitely been one of the staple species that Uh, People have tagged and watched the migration, and it's, you know, kind of one of the craziest things to to learn about. Um, But they've been decreasing over the last two decades, and so it's, you know, kind of all hands on deck. No matter where you live, um, somebody can help make an impact for them.
2: So that's a really great segue into our conversations about kind of the ideas behind this box and why these pollinator gardens are so important. So I live in a rural town, but still in town and have an in-town size lot. So I'm just like, Anna, from your professional perspective, would my small, um, you know, household pollinator garden really make an impact?
3: Yeah, um, it certainly would. And I might live on the farm now, so like bigger projects, but I used to live in town as well. And I can certainly attest to that. It does, it does make a difference. 80% 80% of Americans live in urban areas. So that's a big thing. If we're gonna be asking people to try to make an impact, most of them are gonna live live in those populations. But there's, there's actually been some studies that show that there's a lot of American cities that actually support a higher diversity of native bee species, um, including one of the endangered um, species, the rusty patch bumblebee in um, those in those cities versus the adjacent rural areas. So it, it makes a huge impact.
2: And this is so great too. And we talked about it a little bit when we talked about our fall colors episode and uh, reasons to not rake up your leaves. This is kind of a great way to cut down on the areas of your lawn that you have to mow and maintain. Get yourself a pollinator plot, right? You got beautiful flowers blooming and then also just
3: a little bit less yard
2: work.
0: I'm all about right? not mowing.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. It's like the bane of my existence. I, I don't like mowing, you know, I, I can understand right around your house, you know, just a little bit, it's kind of a, a culture thing, especially in the Midwest to have that nice, pretty green grass, but, um, if you can have a spot to put a pollinator plot, it'll be blooming all throughout the summer with different colors. And then in the fall, I mean, when you get those gorgeous fall colors that you can see in your pollinator plot, I just, I love that way more than a boring green grass.
0: (laughs) So Anna, you, uh, you had mentioned that you're up, uh, in the area that you live, you're kind of in the pasture area, similar to what i'm in you know i'm i'm kind of in that rural area and own about 140 acres of pasture ground we've we've mentioned this a couple of times here and um, on the podcast but you know in that time frame we're running cow calf pairs through there and middle of june through december and so that's kind of that optimal time when those pollinator plants you know are, are growing but you know that that's our livelihood that's we're that's what we do uh What type of, but I still want to be able to support pollinators the best I can, you know, what type of habitat programs are available to me or other agricultural landowners that we can support our farms, but yet, you know, support our livelihood agriculture, but yet support pollinators?
3: Good question. And I won't have probably some exact answers contacting it'll be a little bit of a plug to your local pharma biologist will know the best, um, on which in your area that, that'll be best, but there are programs, CRP is one of the biggest one, but there's equip, um, CSP, which is sounds probably like a bunch of Chinese to people who aren't used to hearing all of the acronyms, um, but they can help put in, you know, pollinator plots. Um, They can help with grazing lands. There's kind of something um, for everybody out there if you want to help make an impact. And my in-laws both farm and they run cattle as well too. Um, So I kind of see the same boat. And honestly, without cattle, a lot of that rangeland probably would have been broken up a long time ago um, if people didn't run cattle. And so I think that's that's still really important. And um, a lot of those wildflower species are actually high in protein and cows really
0: like them. So it's good for the cows as well, too. Awesome. You know, our, our pasture ground is actually native grasses. So we're really excited about that. It's not it's it's uncommon in our area anymore mm-hmm. that a pasture ground has not been broken up to uh, field crops or to houses. So uh, we are pretty excited about that and do what we can as far as even rotating uh, the rotation through your pasture ground. And if you're not familiar with that, that basically you're, you're moving cows from one section to another so that, that they don't overgraze and, and overly kill those plants for, for the long term. Uh, and you had mentioned the EQUIP program. I recently had just received a postcard from Pheasants Forever. And I, it was targeted to me because there are a lot of female landowners out there. Maybe they're not exactly... Um, there on the land, but they're owners, they're not the managers of it, but they are the owners of it. And so maybe we've grabbed some ears of if you own land but somebody else is managing it, um, there's programs out there to look into.
1: And Anna, when you when you say you just contact a farm bill biologist, that means you pick up the phone, leave them a message if they if they don't answer and they just come out to your land and you walk around. Is is that kind of the gist of of the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, to find
3: out where to even, I guess, begin, you can go to Pheasants Forever or Quill Forever and there's, if you scroll down to the bottom, there is a find a biologist. Um, and so you can type in your zip code and that will tell you who's the closest form biologist to you. And that should have their
1: phone number and email on there. Very cool. All right. So going back to pollinators, if so, Tana's living in town like myself and you know, maybe we've got, and and I don't joke here, like maybe a 10 by 15 foot area, because that's how big my postage stamp backyard is, um, and we have a garden <clears throat> on one side, so we have a tiny little spot to to put some, um, to plant. But are there other ways we as maybe consumers or, or just people, are there other ways we can help pollinators?
3: Yeah, um, so besides, you know, trying to convert what you can in the pollinator habitat, you can help support organizations um, and programs that are doing things on the landscape as well, too. And so, obviously, you can become a member of Pheasants Forever or Kowal Forever, and that, that membership will help support these efforts. And then I'm sure you guys can talk, you know, on the platform of each of states. Most states will have programs themselves, too, through the, the state DNRs.
2: Another thing, too, when we've got a lot of really passionate and driven women that we are so fortunate to have included in the She Goes Outdoors family, get into some civic engagement. Talk to your cities and townships about these programs and ways that even some land in town or in local parks could be converted to pollinator habitat. Be an advocate within the school systems in your local community. There are so many different ways to approach this, and I, I think this conversation is so cool, Anna. So... WE'RE FINALLY TRANSITIONING INTO A LITTLE MORE DETAIL ABOUT THE SHE GOES OUTDOORS BOX PROGRAM um, FOR OUR POLLINATOR BOXES. SO WE REALLY HOPE YOU GUYS LOVE THIS BOX. IT IS A LITTLE STEP OUTSIDE OF WHAT WE'VE TYPICALLY DONE. BUT THE GOALS OF THIS BOX ARE REALLY TO EDUCATE BOX RECIPIENTS ON THE IMPORTANCE OF POLLINATORS AND LIKE WE'VE TALKED ABOUT TODAY, SOME WAYS YOU CAN HELP. SO THERE MIGHT BE SOME ITEMS IN THERE THAT COULD HELP YOU GET A POLLINATOR PLOT STARTED WITHIN YOUR OWN YARD. There might be items in there that help build structure that supports pollinators. Uh, I can guarantee there's going to be information in there about Pheasants Forever and some of their organizations. And we're so thankful for their support in that. It's really going to be a great box. And as always, it'll be accompanied by a webinar with experts to talk to you about those box contents and explain how to use them. um, some of the importance of those items, just like Anna's talked about today. And so overall, it's really going to be a fantastic box. Julia,
0: anything else you'd add to that? I think you, you, you got it down, but it's certainly just a, a mystery. We leave it as a mystery. We want to point that out. And, and if our listeners that have received the box, I think they've always been happy with the end result of the the mystery. Um, but I think maybe we can give a, little, a few clues. What do you think?
2: I'm down for that. Okay.
0: There will be one-of-the-kind gear – That will help you develop your own pollinator garden. Okay, that's that's maybe clue one. Clue two is printed resources and access to the virtual resources. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, more paper, but I think you'll be very excited about the printed resources that will be in there. And we won't, we're not going to stack it full because, hey, we're we're about the environment too. Uh, There will be official SGO swag always oh, really really cool
2: I wear the heck out of that hat I'm so excited for some new SGO swag
0: absolutely and I see the hat on Facebook all the time I see the ladies they are out and about wearing the hat
2: we love to see it and we love to get yeah like Julia said those photos and selfies of you guys in those hats it's so much fun to see we love to see your kids trying them on it's just so cute we're here for it so yay for more She Goes Outdoor swag
0: right Anna, I mean, what other subtle hints do you think we can drop to them that's in this box? And I want to I do announce that, you know, normally the boxes are put together. Like, it is this brainchild of Tana, Rachel, and I, and even Megan thinking, okay, what can we do? And this is the first time that we have asked our partner to say, hey, I mean, you're you're familiar with the box. What would you put in the box? Yeah, I
3: think a maybe another little hint is that it's it's going to give you everything you need to kind of be maybe a turnkey project. Um, oh. So everything should should be in there.
0: So the boxes are on sale now at sgooutdoors.com. Like I said, they are on sale now. They've been selling already. The link to purchase that, that box is active until March 20th time frame. Or until they sell out, and I'm going to say that again. The link is active until March 20th, or until they sell out. Like there is a minimum. I mean, we we do have a quantity, um, a maximum that we will sell out. So so don't wait. And unlike other subscription boxes, the boxes will ship out all together, all of them at one time on March 30th. So just in time for planting season hint hint and i do want to put a
1: little plug in there um mother's day is early may so if you're looking for that perfect gift for the woman that has everything and has done everything for you uh this this box might be just that present so um again we're not amazon we don't ship on on demand it's a one-time ship in march 30th but that'll get that box to you with plenty of time before Mother's Day, or if you want to give it as an early gift, moms always like gifts.
0: Easter too. I mean, it's going to be hitting just before Easter.
2: Well, ladies, I am so excited. I love Anna, what you said about it being a turnkey box and that we'll be able to have everything we need right there to get started. Um, Supporting pollinators is one of the most important things we can do for our habitat and our ecosystems and um, just longevity in general. So I'm so thrilled that we are working together to put this box on. And again, so thankful for the partnership of PF in this effort. We really appreciate you joining us today. And I'm curious, Anna, if you have any last
3: comments for our listeners before we log off. I just want to thank you guys for having me on and having me on the podcast. It's been a blast. And I hope we can keep partnering on these boxes because I'm super excited for them.
1: Well, Anna, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for spending the morning with us. I know that as Hannah and I alluded to, we are so ready for spring to be here. We're excited to get out and, and play in the mud again. And this box is going to do it. Not only that, what Pheasants Forever, Coil Forever do every day allows us to have that habitat um, for for not only us, but also um, all those species and that we enjoy hunting. So uh, a sincere thank you on behalf of the She Goes Outdoors team. For those of you that are looking to find more about Pheasants Forever, you can Google Pheasants Forever. And then if you're looking to find that Farm Bill Biologist, scroll all the way to the bottom and, and click that link, find a biologist. So as always, we appreciate you joining us. Like, subscribe, get alerts for your next podcast, and we will see you outdoors.